It is hard to argue against the idea that the world is built upon connection. From the tiniest atoms to nature and even technology, everything in our world depends on its relationship to others. Studies into human relationships tell the incredible story of the power of connection. Positive, healthy human relationships are linked to better mental and physical health outcomes. In today's busy world, we are asked to connect to others on a regular basis. And yet, there is often little understanding of the vast impacts our interactions have. Welcome to Season 2 of NFCC's Guide Through the Seasons of Mental Wellness, where we dive into some of the most common, as well as a few overlooked, relationships we experience in a lifetime. I am your host, Tracy Lehman, and I am honored to be a part of your day. Let's get into today's episode. Recent studies show that adults spend one-third of their life at work, an average of 90,000 hours. Knowing what a large chunk of our time is spent in a work environment and how much importance we place on work performance, it is no wonder that how we view ourselves as employees impacts our lives. Research has shown inter-office relationships with managers impacts self-confidence, self-efficacy, and overall mental and physical health. Yet, many in management positions have little to no focused skills or incentive to practice building positive work dynamics. Management is not generally a chosen profession, but a position obtained based on work performance. Depending on the industry and corporate culture, interpersonal skills can be highly undervalued. In fact, micromanaging, rigid structure, and negative projections from both management and their staff can cause division. So how do we help teams, no matter the size, move forward towards collaboration? And how do we develop the necessary skills needed to create an environment that supports everyone's needs and strengths to create a stronger, more successful work environment? Here to help in this valuable discussion is Nick Finnegan Counseling Center's Executive Director, Mary Elizabeth Hand. Mary Elizabeth Hand has served as NFCC's Executive Director since 2015. In addition to managing the daily operations of the Counseling Center, she also oversees the event planning, grant writing, annual fund, and donor relations. Before coming on board at NFCC as the Director of Development, She was a child life specialist at Texas Children's Hospital for five years. As a childhood friend of Nick Finnegan, Mary Elizabeth's passion for NFCC's mission grows every year as she leads efforts to expand the Counseling Center's reach in the community, her desire to make high-quality counseling accessible and affordable, while honoring Nick inspires her work at the Counseling Center every day. 
Mary Elizabeth also makes work-life balance a priority for her staff and herself. At home, she and her husband manage two full-time careers, two young kids, and two yellow labs. Welcome to the podcast, Mary Elizabeth. Thanks for having me. Yes, I'm so excited for this conversation. It's just so valuable. I want to start with kind of exploring your own personal experience and work. Before you became an executive director here, what do you remember about those work environments and how do you think they have helped you to develop your own ideas around being a manager and overseeing a team? So I will say my most substantial and influential work experience prior to NFCC was definitely my time at Texas Children's. So I was a child life specialist on a liver transplant in GI floor. So it was a very fast paced, busy work experience. Mm -hmm. The child life program at Texas Children's is one of the largest in the country. And so I was surrounded by a lot of different professionals, both on the child life team, also the doctors, the nurses, the nutritionists, but everyone really who plays a role in a patient's care at the hospital. When you're working in a hospital, you have so many different specialties all focused on making that patient and family experience as best as it can be. So I feel like working on a multidisciplinary team at the time really taught me that communication is absolutely crucial so that you can have the outcome that you're looking for. So during my time at Texas Children's, I think I was exposed to a lot of really positive multidisciplinary team communication that I definitely think played a part when I came to NFCC that I, I wanted to carry that through. Something that was really new at Texas Children's that I definitely wanted to bring to NFCC was the idea of a work-life balance day. Prior to TCH, I had never heard of work-life balance day. Mm -hmm. And there, they encourage you to take a work-life balance day once a week or every other week, depending on what your hospital shift schedule is. Mm -hmm. So I had every other Friday off when I was a child life specialist. I worked four 10-hour days, and then every other Friday I had off. So that Friday, I really looked forward to because I had a list of things that I needed to take care of for myself or Mm -hmm. for my home. But also it was just a self-care day to look forward to. So when I came to the counseling center, it was more of your typical nine to five Monday through Friday work schedule. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to bring that to the team here. Now, at the time, as development director, I wasn't the ED, so I didn't really have the, the space to make that decision. But I do think that one of the first emails I sent as executive director was to human resources about how I could incorporate a work life balance day for the staff here. Right. That's awesome. I'm so glad you brought that experience with you. One thing that you and I have talked about before, probably a few times or more, because you and I have worked together for, gosh, how long has it been? Long time. A long time. But a conversation we've had related to patient advocacy and why there's such a need for it. You know, there are so many different medical professionals that can be involved in one person's treatment, and they come from so many different perspectives and with different roles and goals that they're all kind of battling to be prioritized at times and often at the exclusion of each other's voices, sometimes even the patient's voices. And so I was wondering if you could speak to your experience of that very common and very real struggle that happens probably in more ways than we can even think of. 
I think from the nature of the role of a child life specialist, your goal is the patient mm-hmm. and the family. Yeah. So we are constantly focused on how are we going to help this child and their family cope with the overall, whether it's a transplant process, a surgery, an inpatient stay that's going to be long term. How can we help them cope best? So a lot of what I did was advocating mm-hmm. for the child and for the family to that multidisciplinary team to mm-hmm. say, you know, this is where they're struggling or this is a really positive coping technique that we need to be using in all of their procedures. So again, going back to what I said previously about communication being so important, I think advocacy is equally as important. And I think both of those things have carried over into my role as ED is I realize that I play a crucial role for the team here to be an advocate for each of them. It is my job to make sure that the staff feels inspired in the work that they're doing every day. It's my job to make sure that they feel supported and seen in the work that they're doing every day. But it's also my job to advocate for them with the, you know, the larger management. So I want to make sure if someone is unhappy with something that I not only hear that and validate that, but then I can advocate for them. I definitely agree. And you've brought so many skills and tools with you, especially around communication. Since you stepped into this role of ED, there has been just crazy exponential growth. One really positive focus you have kept is allowing staff and clinicians to be and feel seen and heard. So first of all, you're always going to hear people say, no one ever works for a nonprofit for the money, right? Like the people who are in the nonprofit world are working there because they are passionate about the mission. Mm -hmm. And that is definitely the case for every staff member that is currently working here and who has previously worked here. Mm -hmm. Everyone is passionate about providing affordable and accessible counseling services to our community. Mm -hmm. We are all also passionate about keeping Nick's name alive, right? So we want to be here each and every day not only to make the services that we're offering to our clients and to our community better and better, but also so that we can expand our reach. We want to help more and more people every year understand who we are, what we do, and how we can possibly impact their school, their business, their community. So I will say NFCC, and I know, you know, I work here. So people may say, well, of course you're going to say that, you know, you work there, but Mm -hmm. it is one of the most unique organizations and groups of people that I've ever had the pleasure to work with. Everybody here truly wants to be here. And as far as the role that I play in that as an executive director, one thing that I make it a priority to do every single year is check in with the staff, typically at the end of the year on a one-on-one basis, just to have a casual, honest conversation. How did the year go? How do you feel like things went for you this year? Are there certain goals that you want to achieve next year that I can support you in? Are there things that you would like to see change next year? And then also with the clinical staff, so the clinical director here manages the clinical team, but I still will reach out to the clinical team at the beginning of every year to check in on projects that they may or may not want to do throughout the year. Mm -hmm. So a lot of what I do is help our development specialists write grants And a lot of times when we're writing grants, we are writing for funding for special projects like our partnership with communities and schools, for example. Mm -hmm. And so I always want to check in with a clinical team to say, hey, is there a project? Is there a support group? Is there a training? Is there something that you want to do to help you better yourself, further your education as a therapist? And let me know how I can support you in that. Mm -hmm. And so, again, I think with nonprofits, you are 
you are so passionate. So you are bleeding that mission. You are working so hard all the time. And again, you're not going to get paid as much as you would potentially in a for-profit. But I think the trade-off is when you work in a positive work environment, Mm -hmm. those deep relationships that you create with your staff and also just that shared passion for the mission is so contagious and I think inspires all of our work every day. Right. I think a lot of burnout happens when you feel underpaid and underappreciated. Plus, oftentimes you're struggling with rigid red tape, especially the more bureaucratic and large your organization is. Um, Some things we do here that I feel show a belief in our staff and shows our investment in our staff is the various types of support services that we offer. And one of those that I think is spoken of a lot, at least among the therapists, is the grant that we have for continuing education and training for our therapists. And that's such a big expense oftentimes for clinicians to continue to maintain training and get new training and update their training and and get further along. It's just very expensive process. And so I feel like a lot of therapists often get stagnant in their training and their growth because of that. And because of the grant that we're able to offer, I feel like that offsets a lot of real struggles that a lot of clinicians face related to that burnout, that feeling unappreciated, underpaid. I can't, you know, I can't do my best work if I'm not making enough to afford my trainings. And I think that's just one example of how we combat some real struggles often found in nonprofit and clinical settings. I think it feels, yes, it feels like a very comfortable, supportive environment here. I mean, every person that has ever worked here has always said the exact same thing. This is the most calming workspace. Everyone is just happy to be here. Everybody Mm -hmm. is passionate for the mission. And I think when you have that on a team, you can see that in the productivity. You can see that in the workplace relationships. And that overall, I think, just impacts in a positive way everyone's mental health here. When we have visitors come through or board members stop by, they all tend to say the exact same thing, which is everyone is so friendly here. This is such a welcoming, um, warm environment to walk into. And so I think when you all feel that way when you're working here, the people who are coming in as a visitor, they can sense that too. We all can sense that when you walk into a place and the person, you know, is disgruntled helping you, you can tell they're having an off day, you know, then it makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable. I just think that from the moment you walk in the door, whether you are greeted by your counselor or an admin staff or someone takes your call, I think we are always doing such a wonderful job making people feel welcome here, which again is sticking true to the mission. We want people to feel like they can call NFCC and they can get the support that they are looking for, whether it is applying for a sliding scale, whether it is wanting to learn more about how to be involved as an advisory board member or a volunteer. We are always here to help our clients, the community, um, any way that we can. And you continue to mention here on this podcast episode, the value of communication. And from a personal perspective, I really appreciate how you prioritize live person-to-person engagement because it really does allow for clarifying the full picture of what's going on between two or more people. And I really appreciate that you make the time during your busy schedule to hold space, to make time to talk in person live to anyone who is in need 
at our organization, even while maintaining your very busy and demanding position. So just personally anecdote, recently, you know, I became very ill with COVID about a month and a half ago. And um, you were so supportive and were supporting me specifically in self-care. It really resonated with me when you said, I really think that this is your body telling you that you need to manage your bandwidth better. I really appreciate, I really admire, I greatly admire how you're so approachable and supportive while also maintaining boundaries and expectations when it comes to a job, because that's part of your role. I think a struggle I see with many managers is that they lean more towards punitive measures, more shame, more discipline. While I feel that you walking in the shoes of a manager will check in from a place of support and engage in thoughtful problem solving with someone and you let them know where the expectations aren't being met, but in a way of how do we help you, not in a way of you're failing. And it's it makes such a difference, like all the difference. It's such a rare gift. Do you think you can talk a little bit about how you're able to navigate that very careful and I, I think it's pretty difficult balancing act? Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. It's very kind. I think for me, someone once said to me years ago, when you are managing a large group of people, it's always important to remember everyone is coming from a different perspective. And it's never going to be helpful to come at a situation and say, this is not what was supposed to happen. Or why did this happen? Because you don't want people to automatically feel like they're in trouble. You know, you want them to feel like you are a team. Yes, you may be the employee and I may be the manager, but we have a shared goal. We want the same thing for the organization. And so I've always tried to come at it from help me understand how this happened. Or help me understand where the miscommunication was and how we can work together so that that doesn't happen again. Because at least from my perspective, every employee that works at the counseling center is an incredibly valuable, unique member of our team. And it would not be a positive situation for us to lose any one of those members. And so when something goes wrong, a goal isn't achieved, a deadline is missed, I don't want that person to feel like you said, chastise or like they're in trouble. I want them to feel supported, but also understand that I recognize the goal was missed. I recognize the deadline was missed, but help me understand how I can support you so that doesn't happen again in the future. And I think I've been in this role now for about eight years. And I think what I've learned as a manager over the last eight years is patience and flexibility are two really valuable things that we need to have for one another. But also we need to give ourselves grace in modeling that grace for the team is also a great way to show this is okay, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can't expect to have all the right answers all the time. So I need to give myself grace when maybe someone comes to me with a question and I don't have an immediate answer. It is okay to say, let me think about that. And I'm going to get back to you. Mm-hmm. I don't need to have all the answers all the time. Mm-hmm. And neither do the staff. It's okay to say to a client on the phone, 
I'm not quite sure we can do that, but let me talk to my supervisor and we will call you right back. Mm -hmm. It is okay to say to a team member that you're working on a project with, hey, I feel like the lines of communication are are mixed up right now. I thought I was focused on this. You were focused Mm -hmm. on this. This was the deadline. Let's go back to the drawing board and figure out what step was missed or how we can adjust this so that we can still achieve that goal. And I think you have to model that communication if that's what you're expecting the team to do as well. No, you absolutely do. It's quite commendable. And, you know, I think it actually helps, at least for me, with accountability. You know, I can be vulnerable and admit where I may have missed the mark and come up with solutions because I know that, A, you want me to succeed, and B, I know you aren't going to, like, browbeat me or micromanage me thereafter. There's still trust. For example, on our first podcast launch, a link or something didn't work. I can't quite remember. But I do remember being able to say, yep, that was me. It's on me. I missed a step. I didn't have to make an excuse for myself. I was like, nope, I missed it. This was, I need to do better due diligence next time. And I remember you just took it. You were like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) But also like kudos to you for growing in a way that you can recognize that maybe two years ago, you wouldn't have been able to do that, but you are able to do that now. And also for me, had I not walked alongside you in that process and said, hey, this is not accessible on this platform mm-hmm. and helped you figure out, well, maybe what step was missed that we can work on the next time, the potential same situation would have arisen the next time. And so I do think as managers, we owe it to our staff to walk alongside them and help them figure these things out. And again, I want, if if the one thing I can do as the executive director for however many years I end up doing this at NFCC is make people feel valued and appreciated, then I have done my job because I truly love coming to work every single day. I feel so honored that I get to be in this role and manage this team. And I want people to always remember that they need to take care of themselves so that they can be the best versions of themselves when they come to work every single day. Because the work we are doing here is so impactful for our community. And it is hard work. It is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and energy and planning to execute a lot of what we do behind the scenes to make things run flawlessly and so beautifully. And it's important for me that the team feels like I recognize that really consistently that I am there to support them and walk alongside them, but also that they remember to take care of themselves. Yeah. I think we all really love and appreciate that and definitely feel that from you. So I'm a huge bookworm and there are these two books that I believe are just life changing for each of them. After I read them, I was like, Oh my gosh, everyone should be reading these. What are they? And one is What Happened to You, which is from Oprah and Bruce Perry, and it's about trauma and development. And it's so helpful because it's so, it speaks a lot to developing insight and helps you just kind of really understand what's happening inside of you and why. And the other thing is, the other book is Mindset by Carol Dweck. Now, Carol Dweck is a researcher out of Stanford, and she studies growth versus fixed mindset. 
And it's just so helpful in understanding how we get stuck, how we stop growing, how we stop moving forward, and what we should be doing instead so that we don't get stuck and we can continue to improve and continue to learn. And that thing that you were just talking about, the walking with us, Mm -hmm. that's the piece that Carol Dweck talks about a lot that gets missed. You know, a lot of times when we're working with somebody who's struggling, we'll say, I can see you're trying. I know you're trying. But we don't go to the next step. That's only part of what needs to be done. The next step is, okay, what tool are you missing? Because if you're using the same tool to get the same result and you have yet to get a result with it, then that is not the right tool. You need a new tool. And I don't know if you realize, but I mean, it's so fantastic that that's exactly what you do for us here. You know, when we're struggling, you you help us grow by helping us problem solve. I don't know if you knew that you were doing that. I, I didn't. I appreciate <laughs> you saying that. Um, but again, I mean, I think all managers have such an opportunity to make a positive impact in their employees, whether or not you are managing one person or 1,000 people. You have an opportunity to model what you are expecting of your team. And I am a huge believer in that. You cannot ask your team to do something that you are unwilling to do yourself. And again, you all ultimately have the same goal in mind, and it's typically the mission of that organization. And so if someone is trying over and over and over again and something's not changing, something needs to be examined maybe from a different vantage point to figure out why is this not changing? What can I do to help you make or facilitate that change because in the example that you just shared it feels great right as an employee to to realize the growth that you've Mm -hmm. had and I think it feels great as a manager to hear that you've been a small part of that growth Mm -hmm. because people you need you need positive role models but you also need a healthy safe workplace where you know that it's okay to make mistakes so that you can grow yeah because the opposite of that or what's been my experience is that you feel attacked or in danger and then you just get defensive and make lots of excuses. It just turns into a me versus you relationship kind of made of animosity versus an us as a team collaborating, I've got your back kind of safe relationship. And gosh, that's just so laudable. So here we have a very diverse staff of personalities and ages and backgrounds that all have to work together. What do you think has been your biggest challenge in learning to manage and navigate such vastly different people? And how have you done that? I think the biggest challenge for me when I first stepped into this role about eight years ago was learning how to be flexible with my time. I am a list person by nature. I love to be organized. I love to check things off the list. And so I had plans for every single day. I knew the goals that I that I had set for myself. I knew what I needed to achieve. And so it really threw me, but I'm also an open door person. So it threw me that people really came through the door as often as they did. Uh, Because when you step into that role, you are the it person, right? When they have an issue with a coworker or there's a building problem, you know, 
you are the it person that they are coming to for guidance. And so it took me a while, I think, to recognize, number one, you have to be flexible with your time. So if you end up only getting to five items on your to-do list because the other part of your day was spent helping your staff navigate these issues that came out throughout the day, it's still a successful day. It doesn't mean it wasn't a success because you didn't check all those things off your list because look at all the other ways you helped people today. Mm -hmm. And I think it took me a while to realize it is okay to not get to everything. Mm -hmm. Um, Because again, when you have a diverse staff who are coming at things from different experiences, Mm -hmm. you're also learning how to see things from their experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're a new manager, you know, you want to give everyone all the time because it's also a great way to build rapport with your staff yeah. in this new role. Yeah. Um, so I do think that took me a little, getting used to. A, a little getting used to, um, but also it's probably what hindered so many opportunities, I think, to have like really wonderful relationships with the staff because when you work at a counseling center sometimes you don't see any of the staff because your schedules don't align you know some of the counselors are only working hours that maybe I'm not in the office because that's when they're seeing their clients so when you have those opportunities to take an additional five minutes to talk to someone in the hallway that can make all the difference in the world so I think just learning to be flexible with the time and the the tasks took a little while but I think I'm better at it now. No, I think you do it well. I'm kind of the opposite. My husband and I both tend to be the more (laughs) impulsive, trial-by-fire types. I mean, I think that's more of an ADHD thing. Maybe that's why I work so much with ADHD. But I've had to really practice growing into that organizational planning side of things. Um, I'm really working on getting things done more ahead of time, which is super helpful but a really hard skill to learn when it's not what you've always done. Yep. And I think it's just so valuable to add that you add that personal touch because it makes us feel connected to you and cared about, you know, about our personal lives and you authentically care to check in about things. It's something I really treasure about how you operate. And I will say I have heard just in seminars and groups that I've been a part of over the years That is a topic of conversation with managers that's brought up a lot. That balance of how do you, on a personal level, get to know your staff, but still keep that boundary line of, you know, we're not hanging out on the weekends. You know, I'm still your supervisor. It's a hard line, I think, sometimes to have. And so for me, I've always wanted to be not only transparent, in my communication. So I always want the staff to understand what's happening within the organization. Mm -hmm. I try to be very upfront with my communication, but I also want them to know me as a person. I remember that was one of the first things I did when I stepped into this role was I let everybody know what my background was, how I knew Nick Finnegan growing up, why I was passionate about this role, goals I had for this role, because I wanted people to know me as a person. Mm-hmm. And I, I've tried to do that over the years as I've become a mom, as I've grown my family. I want people to know who I am outside of Mary Elizabeth, the executive director of Nick Finney Counseling Center. Mm-hmm. And I want to know them as people too, because like I said, we're all here because we're so passionate about the mission, but we're here half the time and then we're with our families half the time. Mm-hmm. So I think you get more dedicated 
employees when you know them as the whole person, Mm -hmm. right? When the staff has those opportunities to come together and get to know one another, I think the team, it just, it grows a bond that um, is so much stronger. And then I think that has a positive influence on our dedication to the mission, our projects. And I just think you can see it. So I do think it's important to get to know your staff on a personal level and make time for your staff. I think that makes a big difference. Okay. So I'm going to throw you a little bit of a curveball here because, <laughs> I mean, I didn't come up with this question originally, but how do you think COVID or the pandemic impacts or has impacted the ability to have those kinds of relationships that we're talking about? Because I know it has been hard when we aren't interacting as regularly, right? And I know how ready you have been to get back to in-person interactions. But even during that time of separation, you really seem to maintain that personal touch and continued building those positive connections. What advice do you have for employers or managers who want to create that dynamic but really struggle, especially in a now more virtual-based world? I will say that that was an enormous challenge for me personally when it comes back to work-life balance. So if we're going to bring this full circle when I'm talking about you know work-life balance, it needs to be a priority for myself, for my team, and all of that. I very much struggled in keeping that a priority during the, I would say, first six to nine months of COVID. Mm -hmm. Because once we were all working from home, I wanted to be available to everyone all the time because everyone's work hours were different Mm -hmm. when working from home. So I felt like I was responding to emails, responding to texts, you know, 11 o'clock, 5 a.m. I mean, just all over the map because... I was also working from home with two very young kids trying to do homeschool. My husband was working from home. And so we were all trying to find those pockets of uninterrupted time where we could continue to do the work that we needed to be doing in the office. And again, like we were all in it together. We're still in this together. Just because someone's a manager and someone's not doesn't mean that they're experiencing it any differently. We're all experiencing the same stress and anxiety that the pandemic and how we've had to shift our lives and we're all experiencing that Mm -hmm. and so I wanted people to have that as a consistent reminder like hey I am in this with you this is not easy but I am here for you Mm -hmm. and I'm available for you Mm -hmm. and then I think over time I realized I needed to tighten up my boundaries (laughs) a little bit uh, because I needed to give myself some space to breathe because the lines get blurred when you're working from home what's a weekend anymore you're working from home and so it would be very easy to work seven days a week Mm -hmm. even if you're not working full days and so you do what you have to do i am a firm believer and there's a season for everything Mm -hmm. and so i think that was a stressful season for a lot of people but i am hopeful that we're kind of starting to to make our way out of that season and hopefully we'll get back to a more normal way of in office life again with each other yeah i think that's right And when we were virtual, I felt you were really good at managing boundaries while also offering some transparency and authenticity. For sure, the pandemic gave us a lot more to juggle. And you were really verbal about modeling, being aware of and managing your own bandwidth. 
I mean, you'd be like, I don't have room for that right now. Yeah. Right? It's so important because many of us forget to be aware of what's possible and realistic for ourselves. I remember at the beginning of the shutdown, my youngest at the time was two and a half. And he went through like a massive sleep regression. And this was at the beginning where I was responding to those texts and emails at 11 and up at 5 a.m. sending staff emails. And I just remember one day being like, "It is it ever going to end? Am I ever going to sleep again? Will I ever remember what it feels like to have a, a, a normal, whatever a normal night sleep uh, mm-hmm. in this season of life is? And then not immediately feel like I'm being pulled in so many different directions. Because when you have lists, you know, when you're an organized person, you tend to compartmentalize your days in ways that feels really digestible. Mm-hmm. But at that season, you're you're exhausted and you're you're worried about work and you're worried about your your kids and you're never separating from each other. Yeah. So there's nowhere to go. You're yeah. just constantly there just trying to have an, a fresh healthy perspective the next day so that you're not carrying the stress from the day before mm-hmm. into that next day right i really tried to practice that a lot during those like heightened months where you couldn't go anywhere and kids were not in school and we were all working from home and not leaving your house was we don't know how long this is going to last but it's important every day to try to wake up with a fresh perspective because if I carry my stress from yesterday into today I'm not going to be able to focus on anything today right I'm going to still be so anxious about what happened or didn't happen the day before Mm -hmm. and I'm a firm believer and I have I have grown over the last few years in being present we owe it to each other and to ourselves to be present in every moment as best as we can so whether that is at work with your spouse, with your kids, with a friend, with a family member. We owe it to ourselves to be present. And having work-life balance, having healthy boundary setting, it facilitates that. And I do. I just think that has been one helpful thing as a manager that I have learned over the years that I try to help the team remember from time to time is be present. Don't try to do too much at one time because it'll be too hard to be present in the moment. Yeah, because that's where quality, work quality suffers. That's right. I love that about you. What a gift. So thinking about your experiences in the past, pre-ED, what do you wish you had known before you stepped into this role? And also, where do you find the support that you need? Because... I see you supporting everyone else around you and checking in, but I'm curious as to who does that for you. So can you speak a little bit to that? I wish I would have known. It's a hot question. (laughs) Maybe all the different hats you would wear as an executive director running a nonprofit. I don't think even if someone handed me a how-to book, how to be an ED of a nonprofit, I don't think it would have sunk in until I was actually living through each of those experiences, some of which were brand new for me to have to carry out. So I definitely think doing is learning, right? So I learned so much through every experience those first few years. 
I also think reminding yourself that you're not going to always get it right the first time. I am a recovering perfectionist, I like to think. And that is something that I really struggle with and I'm constantly working on is it's not going to always be perfect. It's not going to always be right. I mean, it might not always even be decent, but that's okay because I'm human and I'm going to do the best that I can every single day. And that's all I can ask of myself. And it's all I can ask for the team. So I wish eight years ago, I could have given myself that advice. Just know that you will try and you will fail. And that is okay. We're always our, our worst critics. I wish someone would have reminded me of that because I do think I was really hard on myself in the beginning, just trying to get it right all the time. Whereas now I feel much more comfortable and confident in my skin in this role of it's going to be great sometimes and it's not going to be so great sometimes. But if it if it's not so great, we're going to learn from that and we're going to learn how to make it better the next time. For sure. It's that growth mindset. Yeah. So useful. All right. Let's switch to the employee side of things. What do you feel staff and employees can do to contribute to a more positive work environment? And if they are struggling with a manager relationship, what can they do to facilitate a more positive, supportive working relationship? What do they need to bring to the table? So I know I've mentioned this several times, but communication, it is huge. I also think people tend to shy away from being direct in the moment. And then that's when the resentment tends to build over time, over those same experiences that continue to happen and happen. And as a manager, once that kind of straw breaks the camel's back scenario happens, that's when we tend to get the frustrated in-person visit, phone call, email from an employee. So Again, tying that back to communication, communicate with your manager. Mm -hmm. If you're not getting the support that you need, if you are struggling with a coworker, make sure that your manager knows so that they can step in and help you earlier. Because again, I think it's always most effective to address it. I always remind people, if you're coming to me with an issue with a, a coworker, I want to help you. Mm -hmm. I absolutely want to help you. However, if I reach out to the coworker, they're going to know that you've come to me. So I want to get your permission mm -hmm. that you're okay with that. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times those conversations tend to go the same where they say, well, let me talk to them first. Mm -hmm. It felt, I think it just felt really good to, to talk to me about it first. And then they'll go to that coworker on their own to resolve it. But I think at least in my experience over the last few years, the the best way to facilitate healthy workplace relationships, whether or not it's employee to employee or manager to employee, it's to have open and honest communication mm -hmm. and a lot of times in the moment in a respectful way. Okay, so I work with my own personal therapist and something, you know, I comment a lot on what she does that I like as a therapist because I'm paying attention and something she does that I love is she'll say, clear is kind. Whenever I comment on these things that I admire, she always says, clear is kind. Yep. And that's a Brene Brown quote about being honest and straightforward and direct. The kindest thing we can do is to be clear and transparent with people. Because when you're not, it creates all this anxiety and worry and things like that. 
It's absolutely true. For sure. I think also something that can be hard is related to this two-way street. You know, I'm very social, right? So I always like to hang out and get to know people and socialize in my spare time. That's my personality. But there's definitely people who aren't as comfortable with being so social and will shy away from potential opportunities for connection. I'd say there's about a 50-50 split introvert-extrovert amongst our staff. And I think for those who have a harder time with the socializing, it may be helpful to set an intention around reaching out and checking in. You know, it's not fair to put all the responsibility for communication on others and then be upset when you aren't getting the communication and connection you want. It's really easy to get lost in the shuffle. And that breeds resentment. But we have to recognize our role in trying to make that connection ourselves and putting ourselves out there um, because when we don't we make ourselves invisible we get lost in the shuffle so that's my two cents that's my piece of advice for employees is you have to be have an intention of creating connection and communicating yeah i think that's great advice and i also think again recognizing everyone's coming from a different perspective life outside of work Mm -hmm. so people's schedules are different and people have different commitments outside of work so recognizing that maybe your extrovert fun let's go grab lunch in between client sessions today could be the same as a co-worker's text Right. So they're still engaging with a coworker, but they look very different on paper with the type of activity it is. So I think recognizing that even though we, whatever our personal preferences on how we socialize within our office mm-hmm. can look very different to our other coworkers, mm-hmm. and that's okay. But to always remember to be inclusive and celebrate people's successes. I think something we do here really, really well is celebrating all of life's successes that any coworker we have may be going through, whether or not they've graduated and they are sitting for their, you know, their licensing exam or they're getting married or they're having a baby or they're having a grandbaby or they bought a house, you know, whatever the celebration may be. Mm-hmm. I think we do a really good time as a team always acknowledging that. Yeah. Um, And I think that makes people feel so appreciated. And again, seen as a whole person, not just Tracy, the outreach counselor at NFCC, but Tracy, the outreach counselor at NFCC and the mom and the spouse and the friend and the daughter and the neighbor and all the roles that you play, you're seen in that multifaceted way. And I think people appreciate that so much. Absolutely. And I think that also models the practice of awareness. You have to be present to be aware. So if you're aware and present, you're able to notice and store the little crumbs of insight and opportunities for connection that someone offers you. And that allows you to foster that positive connection. Like if you hear, oh, they're about to have a baby or, oh, they just got into a really competitive program or award or club. And you're able to do that because you're slowing down in the service of being present and aware. You know, when somebody offers you a bid for connection, that's an opportunity for you to stop and turn to them 
and make that positive dynamic, build towards that positive dynamic, let go of all the things that you're on your way to do and just be in that moment, be willing to be present enough to slow down and do that and allow yourself the ability to turn your attention to receive and to reciprocate. I think it's a willingness to create space amidst the busyness of our days. Yes. One thing that I have tried to get better at over the the last few years is if someone pops into my mind, I think about them, I will send them an immediate text. Hey, I was just thinking about you. How is your son doing? Mm -hmm. Because there's so many times where I will think about that person and then think, I'm, I reached out to them. I checked in and then I never did because the next thing happened. So I try to be really mindful that like if someone pops into my mind, send the text right then in that moment because your day will get busy and you may forget, yeah. but you don't know the type of difference you could be making in their day for them to receive that mm-hmm. and know that someone was thinking of them, yeah. which also has transitioned me to remember your suicide awareness post that we did on our social media a few weeks ago you talk about what type of a person are you when you're walking somewhere are you looking at your feet with that go 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 attitude like i'm busy i have to go or are you looking up and making eye contact with someone and when Mm -hmm. someone says hi are you saying hi back how are you doing today because Mm -hmm. just that simple act of engagement with someone and saying how are you doing today can make all the difference completely right on in fact that exact pose was just in my mind as we were talking so that's so funny (laughs) but yeah just reaching out and connecting we need connection and it's so easy to feel at any moment that there's nobody there for you but being consistently present frees you up to let others know that you were there for them absolutely and i'm a huge believer that every day We have opportunities to decide how we're going to react to every situation that we encounter, Mm -hmm. whether or not, let's say you get stuck behind a train. Are you going to say to yourself, oh my gosh, this train is making me 20 minutes late for work. My whole day is going to be ruined because of this. Or are you saying to yourself, oh, well, that's 20 extra minutes in the car with my kids or 20 extra minutes to call a friend and catch up. You have an opportunity to choose how you're going to react to every single situation and I think as a manager we have the same opportunity Mm -hmm. with our employees we can choose how to react Mm -hmm. every single time something happens and I think when we can choose to react in a positive and an encouraging way we can make a really big difference not only in that employee's day but just in the overall work relationships within that organization yeah Definitely. To circle back again, that work-life balance is such a huge piece of that. Because if a new stressor occurs, when somebody's already stressed, their mind quickly goes rigid and negative. For example, if I'm already stressed and maybe worried about being on time and there's a train, right? And so I'm stuck behind a train and... I already am feeling like I'm failing, like I'm behind, like other people think I'm failing or see me falling behind. I'm not going to be able to problem solve. I'm not going to have the flexibility to really think, what can I do with this time while I'm sitting here? Maybe I can respond to an email while I'm sitting here. 
right? Or make a phone call. Yeah. And I can't do that if I'm in this negative failure threat response place, right? But if your colleagues and in your employer are understanding, if they know that trains happen, if they know that running late happens, if they know that life happens, yep. and they express that, and they care about your stress level, and they help you watch out for your stress level, right? It's your responsibility mm -hmm. to pay attention to your bandwidth, to manage your own stressors. But if they care enough to pay attention and check in and help us with that awareness, right? That allows us to not feel like we're under so much stress. Yep. That allows us to get out of reactivity and really be aware. Um, so I think compassion and acknowledgement and Offering understanding frees people up to be aware and flexible and improves dynamics in the workplace. Yep. And I try to utilize the experiences that I have in my personal life to influence how I am as a manager here. Mm -hmm. So since I've been in this role, I've become a mom twice. Mm -hmm. I've moved. I have started new schools with my kids. I've lived through a pandemic. I've had a lot of life experiences in the eight years that I've been in this role. Mm -hmm. And so I try to remind myself to have that same grace and patience and support. Like you said, life happens. I am so aware that life happens. <laughs> and so if life is happening to me today on this Monday morning, it is certainly happening to someone else. And instead of like, for example, someone texted me early yesterday morning and said, I'm so sorry. My child just threw up at school. They're going to, I have to go pick them up. I'm going to have to work remotely today. I had two opportunities of how I could have responded. I could have chosen to say, well, how are you going to get your, your work done? Do you think you'll be in tomorrow? Or I could have said, what a rough way to start a Monday after a holiday break. What can I do to help you? Obviously I went with B. Because I, I, that is, I wanted her to know that no one wants to be in this position. No one wants to get that call 45 minutes after they've dropped their kid off to, at school and they're in the office setting up for their, for their day. Mm -hmm. But when you respond, I think with grace and support, it lets that employee take a deep breath and say, okay, it's going to be okay. I will get us home. I will get my child situated first and foremost. He is my priority. Mm -hmm. And then I will figure out what can I get done today from home mm -hmm. and whatever I can't get done today from home, I can move to another day this week. Yeah. And then I think it's a win-win because the employee is still able to focus on what is most important, which mm -hmm. in this scenario is her child. And she's still also able to get some work done as she can, knowing she has the support of her manager to carry that to-do list out into the rest of her week if necessary. Yeah. Yeah. And also I would want that response. Yeah. Right? If I if I text my supervisor and say, Hey, my kiddo has a fever and can't go to school. I have to work from home for the next three days because they have to be fever free. Right. I have to move some meetings around. I can switch them to telehealth. I would want them to say, I'm so sorry that's so stressful. Thanks for letting me know. If you need something, please reach out. Yeah. And then that would make me feel like, okay, I can do this. Mm -hmm. I have the support of, of my supervisor. I can rearrange things to where I can prioritize everything that needs to prioritize. And it's going to be okay. People just don't need that added pressure, in my opinion, yeah. of 
why can't you just be well, they can't be here. So don't, why ask those questions, right? That just yeah. causes so much unnecessary stress for your employee yeah. when you approach those unpreventable life circumstances with those kind of defensive questions. Yeah. I hear a lot of people talk about workplaces where they don't have supervisors mm-hmm. who are going to say, what can I do to help you today? Or do you do you need anything? They're going to say, well, don't forget to submit your PTO mm-hmm. or are you going to still meet your deadline? And that just causes, like you're saying, this kind of failure rabbit hole situation mm-hmm. where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm never going to get it done. Now they're mad at me. Mm-hmm. I've disappointed them. Mm-hmm. I fail at everything, yeah. you know, and it's yeah. like, that is not true. Yeah. Let's take a breath. <laughs> you are, you are smart and you are successful and you are capable. You just need to take a breath and look at what are your priorities. Be flexible. Rearrange some things. Mm-hmm. Because being in that tunnel vision, fog, rabbit hole place, it's not a fun place no. to be in. And sometimes when you go down it, it's hard to, to like make your way out of it. Mm-hmm. So I do think when you have supportive coworkers, manager, whatever your workplace setup is, um, it can make all the difference. When people feel more supported and more seen, they are more capable of making change in their workplace, of feeling passionate about what they're doing, of feeling fulfilled. And again, overall, just impacting the organization in a positive Yes. I am huge about fulfillment. I recognize that we are all humans and every day we can't feel joy and fulfillment in everything that we do, right? Life happens. Things are stressful. Things happen that are unforeseen. But for the most In general, I want everyone that works here to feel fulfilled Mm -hmm. and challenged in a good way in the work that they do every single year, which is a huge reason why I do those end of year check in meetings with the team, because I want to, in a really casual, comfortable way, assess how did the year go for you? Mm -hmm. What do you want to do next year? What worked well? What didn't work well? Because at the end of the day, as an executive director, you're managing the overall organization. You're really helping to set the goals, prioritize certain projects, make sure goals are achieved. Mm-hmm. But your your employees are the ones getting you closer and closer to those goals, right? Yeah. And so you want them to feel like they are being fulfilled and successful in that work Mm -hmm. because you will see it come out in their work when people are passionate about what they're doing Mm -hmm. like you in this podcast you know this was a really exciting project for you to take on and as a manager it was exciting to watch your passion as this project came to life Mm -hmm. and so I think you can see that when people feel excited about new opportunities in new projects Mm -hmm. It's positive for the organization. And again, things are going to work and things are not going to work. But at least we tried, right? Yeah. I'm a big believer in that too. Like the worst that's going to happen if someone says no or it doesn't work. But at least we tried something new because what if it's a home run? What if it's like one of the best things that ever happened to this organization because we took a chance and we tried something new? Yeah. And, you know, I really believe this is something I tell my clients a lot. Every failure has a lesson in it. Every failure has the opportunity to develop wisdom, to learn a skill, get a tool that can propel you to the next level. And, you know, like say this podcast didn't work out. Well, why didn't it work out? Right. There's data, there's answers in there. There's opportunity. 
to make things better. Absolutely. Even if it does work out, how can you make it better, right? There's always opportunities for growth. So instead of chastising, so instead of stressing and blaming, we instead look for the opportunities for growth. What needs to happen? What needs to change? I think that's such a key piece. So one thing I want to talk about, going back to what you were saying about helping people to feel valued and fulfilled, because something you always do here, which I think is so important, is that when you hire someone into leadership positions, you're always checking with the people they're going to lead about how they feel. I mean, we've been looking for this lead clinician role, which has been just been hard. But every time we find someone, it's you turn to the staff, you turn to the clinicians and it's who do you all want to be in this role? And it was the same with our clinical director. You asked who do the clinicians feel good about? Yes. There's this feeling in that of mattering and having a say, which helps so much with morale and commitment. It says what you think and feel matters and is valued here. And it drives investment because it offers you a larger role. Absolutely. I have always felt that way about hiring a staff member or when we're interviewing people to join the board. Mm -hmm. It is a opportunity to play a huge role in the community to work here. Mm -hmm. It is an incredible organization with a team of people who bring so much knowledge to the table that people should see it as that. It's not just trying to quickly hire the next person who applies. You need to take your time. You need to have patience. You need to involve the team that is going to most directly work with that person so that you choose the best fit for the team. Every time I've hired somebody, I've always done a group interview after I've done a second interview with myself and the the person they will work directly with because I want the group that will work with them to have a say, because if I'm not going to be working with that person all the time, it doesn't really matter what I think. It matters what the group thinks, Mm -hmm. because I, if they're unhappy, I will certainly be unhappy in the long run because it won't be a positive team experience. And so I, I do agree. And I think I learned a lot of that from my time at Texas Children's, mm-hmm. again, when you're working in such a huge organization with so many different personalities and people who are a part of a multidisciplinary team, you realize that when you have people together who have been given the opportunity to learn about one another mm-hmm. and have some say, it can make a really, really big positive difference, I think, on the organization as a whole. Definitely. And On the other side, when people don't feel that control, especially since we have such low turnover here, people have been here for a long time because they have a sense of ownership and protectiveness here. So when you pull someone in, when you pull someone in to oversee people who've been here that long without their input, it's really hard. It can create a lot of resentment and a lot of tension. So allowing that say is so important for healthy workplace dynamics. I think so. And I think that is a fine line for a supervisor because I'm not saying your staff should be choosing every new hire. We that that no one is not everyone will agree on everything, but giving people autonomy to make choices and show their opinions, I think 
can make a big difference while still setting that expectation as the manager that, hey, in the long run, this is the timeline. Mm -hmm. These are the number of candidates we're interviewing. We will take everyone's feedback into consideration. So people, again, you're transparent with your communication. They understand what the process looks like, Mm -hmm. but you're you're giving people the opportunity to weigh in where they want to. Yes, exactly. Oh, and I want to just ask this again because I think it got missed in the question I had before because I put too much into one question, which I tend to do. But <laughs> but as the support provider here, right, you're supporting everyone else. That's what we're talking about. But where do you get support? Because I think if you're not getting support, none of the rest of this works. So I think over the years where I have found my source of support in this role has shifted in certain ways. It's been board chairs at the time, or it's been leadership over at the church. I think most recently during COVID, it was a lot of the coworkers that I work really closely with because we were in constant communication. And so I do think that support can change based on different seasons mm-hmm. that you're living in. I've, I've mentioned this uh, previously in, in some communication that we've done for the counseling center, but before the pandemic, I had actually never been in any type of counseling prior to premarital counseling. Mm-hmm. And so that was something that weeks before the pandemic, I just proactively sought out a counselor for personal and professional reasons. I wanted to grow And that has been a huge source of support for me. It's really helped me figure out how to prioritize that work-life balance, how to remember to find the little joys and gratitudes in every day when you do have a really hard day. And then I also think, again, every season has different sources of support. My spouse is a huge source of support for me. He has been a constant encourager for me in this role as when you have a two parent, I think working household and two young kids, it's a lot, right? And it's a lot in the mornings. <laughs> it's a lot to get out everyone out the door and dressed and lunches packed and nap mats in the car and all of that. Mm-hmm. And he has really kind of come in right alongside me when I decided to make the shift to NFCC. We didn't have kids yet. But since I've been here, we've had two kids and he has always been an encourager helped with drop-offs when needed, helped with pickups when needed, and really just kind of been my cheerleader. He knows how much this place means to me. He knows how much I love what I do. And and I think also since working here and becoming a mom, I love that I can show my kids what giving back to the community looks like. I, they're still so little. They don't quite understand what a counseling center is or what they do, but as they grow, I think I'm excited to show them like, this is what NFCC, this is where I go every day. This is, this is the type of work that we're doing. This is how it's helping people. It's just such a neat, it's a really neat opportunity. I think that I have as a mom to show them the great work that NFCC is doing in the community. And that's always been a big piece for me is philanthropy. Just in general, I've wanted to teach my kids the importance and the value of giving back. So I think that that will be helpful to aid in that. So many people talk about communication, but I love that when you talk about it, you offer really clear examples because a lot of people think they communicate well. They'll be like, I communicate all the time. But my question is, what are you communicating? But are you listening? Katie, right? That's the the big piece. You need to listen. Yes. That's the big piece too. 
Yeah, because if you're not listening and you're in a defensive mode, communication stops. You don't hear what the other person needs. I think that's a big piece of being a manager is you have to be able to listen. Yeah. It's not always about fixing the problem. It's about listening and validating and empathizing so that someone feels supported mm-hmm. and heard and encouraged to go out and fix it themselves, but know that you're right there alongside them to help them get to that next place if they need you. And so I think it's similar with a relationship. You have to communicate your needs, Mm -hmm. set your expectations, but listen to what theirs are as well. Right. And I'd add, be aware of what your reactions are because reactions will block communication. Yes, absolutely. Awesome. Okay. So what tangible advice would you give to those stepping into leadership roles or even those who've been in leadership roles but are maybe struggling in order for them to be able to facilitate a more positive and fulfilling dynamic in their role? Get to know your staff. Relationships are key. I think having strong, healthy relationships, not only with the manager and the, and the employee, but facilitating that amongst the team for that team to have that mm-hmm. is really impactful. And that can look like scheduling, standing monthly meetings like we do here for our clinical team. They meet every month, same time, same day of the month so that they get to come together and talk about all things clinical. We do it on a biweekly basis with our admin team. It's something that we can look forward to. We know we're going to get that connection. Mm-hmm. And then again, I'll say it again, communication is not just being able to communicate what you need, what the goal should be, what the organization is working on, but it's listening to what your team also needs. Mm-hmm. It is, it's a two-way street. Yeah. And again, I think a lot of people who work for nonprofits typically share a passion for the mission. And so I think you can learn so much from each other when you just listen. Everyone has such valuable ideas to bring to the table to maybe put a new spin on an event or create a new project or create a new report that goes out to your community. But we have to listen to each other to learn about those new ideas and then work together to facilitate how do we actually make this idea happen. And like we've said before, you're never going to know unless you try. So just know if you're about to step into a management position, you're not going to get it right every single day, but you will, you will be the best person that you can be. If you remind yourself of that Mm -hmm. every single, be the best person I can be today for myself, be the best person I can be today for myself. And that's all you can ask. Tomorrow is a new day. And we spend so much time at work. And so why spend so much time at a job that you're miserable at? Yeah. Right. But like if you have an employee, an employer that's willing to listen, Mm -hmm. then they're probably maybe they don't know how miserable you are or how disconnected you feel. And I think there's a misconception that people tend to think that managers, they know already. Mm. And I think that can be challenging as a manager because I, I always tell people, I don't know unless you tell me. Yeah. I don't have eyes in the back of my head. Like in a lot of times I'm in my office. And so I may have no idea that yeah. 
something happened somewhere else in the office that some an employee walked away and their feelings were hurt. And I have no idea unless you tell me. So I think just that's a good reminder that communicate, communicate, communicate. Don't assume that people know, Mm -hmm. but, but do assume that people want what's best for you and assume that people want what's best for the organization. Cause we're all Mm -hmm. choosing to wake up every day and come to NFCC and do our jobs because we want what's best for our clients. We want what's best for our community. And we want to be a small part of that Mm -hmm. if we can be by working here. So just assume that people want to sit down and talk it out with you, whether it's about a personal conflict or a project, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'll say, you know, I think the mission is wonderful. I think we are a lot of passionate, dedicated people, Mm -hmm. but on its own, I think that can only get you so far. Mm -hmm. In fact, there's a lot of people out there who say, if you try to make your passion into a living, you'll end up hating or killing your passion. Yep. And I think that's burnout. I think that's exactly. Which is why work-life balance is so important. Yeah. You have to have that balance. You should not be defined, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. by your job. Yeah. You are not your job. Mm -hmm. You do your job. Mm -hmm. Your job is very much a part of you. Mm -hmm. But you are a multifaceted person who has other interests outside of your job. So you can be passionate about work five days a week, four days a week, whatever your schedule is. But then you can have other passions in other areas of your life. And again, I think sometimes you don't even know that you need that time away, Mm -hmm. which is why I think if we get into these regular rhythms of creating, building that space for ourselves, whether it's early in the morning or late at night or every Saturday morning or whatever it may be, Mm -hmm. you don't even recognize how much you need that time until you're like living in that space. And then you're like, man, I needed this. Yeah. Yep. And if I was going to summarize, I think my biggest takeaways right now are be aware as employees and employers. Yep. Be mindful of yourself. Yep. Be present, but also be willing to listen and be willing to grow and know that you can grow. Okay. This is perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. Good. Yes, of course. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to help us reach more listeners, please share it with someone you know, post about it on social media, and leave a rating or review. To see what's coming next, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Nick Finn Council, or visit our website at finnegancounseling.org. Before I go, I'd also like to thank the people who made this project possible our wonderful experts who joined me for each episode, our production team at Three Wire Creative, our editor and production assistant, Giselle Dixon, and the amazing leadership team and supporters at Nick Finnegan Counseling Center in Houston, Texas. Until next time.